God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity this morning that we have to, to gather as the saints, as your people. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear from your word, to hear, um, Lord, truth that penetrates our heart. And God, thank you for just the way that you have shaped and formed uh, College Park Church to be a people who, who love the word. God, you have created this body in such a way that actually enjoys uh, the preaching of your word. So God, thank you for that. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would work in a mighty way, that you'd give us open hearts, and Lord, that you would show us Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> well, from my perspective in parenting, I think one of the best aspects in raising children is watching your children grow uh, and develop. Uh, whether that means physically or socially or intellectually or spiritually, whatever the aspect. It's just, it's so fun to watch your kid grow and develop. I know that many uh, of our parents here this morning, you guys over the last couple of weeks have had your kids go back to school. And uh, so I'm sure many uh, of you have been kind of reminiscing or recalling the days of when your child was, was just a baby. And now your baby is, is off to kindergarten or off to junior high or off to high school or, uh, or, or moving out of the house or what, what have you. Or even grandparents this morning. Maybe you've had a lot of time with your grandkids this summer and, and you just stand back and you're just like, wow. Like they're, they're growing so fast and, and they're developing. And we would say that's, that's a good thing. Like it's a natural thing to, to grow. And, uh, and we, we want that. We desire that in the lives of, of our children and even our own lives. And growing, especially with children, as they grow, they actually gain more independence. They become more self-sufficient. That's also natural and kind of part of, of growing up and progressing. I know, for example, like my daughter, my three-year-old daughter, um, you know, we put a, a plate of food in front of her and give her a fork, and for the most part, she can feed herself. Now, half of the food might end up on the floor afterwards, but like I've got confidence that she can start to feed herself. Now, if I did that with my seven-month-old, that would not work out well because she still needs to grow and she still needs uh, to, to progress. So growing is a good thing. It's something that we all desire within our children. But it's when our children do not grow as they should, that's when we start to become more concerned, when they stop progressing when they don't take the necessary steps that they should. When you have a, a teenager who's still wearing a diaper, or if you've got a 45-year-old who's living at home, you're like, okay, there's something going on here that's, that's not right. Like there's a gap. There's, their growth has been stunted in some way. And so whenever that happens in the lives of our children, like we as parents, we typically have options like we typically think to ourselves, okay, like I'm going to go see my doctor and kind of figure this out. I'm going to get a game plan of what to do or there's a resource to read or, you know, there's some type of class to attend. Usually we come up with a plan to enable growth within our children. And yet my question for us this morning is when we experience um, a sense of spiritually uh, uh, growth that, that's, that's stunted, whenever we experience kind of those seasons in our life in which we're not progressing, we're not becoming more and more like Jesus, are we equipped enough to set a game plan? Like, do we know what to do when we kind of come to the realization that, man, spiritually speaking, I'm a, I'm a 45-year-old still living at home, like, I haven't taken steps. I haven't progressed in my relationship with the Lord. Do you know what to do, and do you know how uh, to grow? Well, last week, we talked about the first 
uh, aspect, the first element uh, of, our, of our strategy as a church, which, which was belong. We talked about what it means to belong to one another because we belong uh, to Christ. And we're, this whole month, we're in a sermon series about the mission of our church of igniting a passion uh, to follow Jesus. And so today, the topic is about growing. What does it mean to grow as a follower of Jesus? And how does that impact our mission as a church? Before we dive into uh, Colossians chapter 1, I want you to think about this question. I want you to think about where are you spiritually and what would it look like for you to take a step in your development as a follower of Jesus? Now, in order for you to, to, uh, to understand how to grow, you first have to identify where you are spiritually to begin with. Okay, so before we dive in, I want to just share just four categories of growth. At least when I think about kind of our, our journey of becoming more and more like Jesus, I think about these four different stages that we all go through as Christians. Here's the first one. The first one is what I'll call kind of the infant stage, the infant stage or the baby stage, that here spiritually you, you really can't do anything on your own, that you need other people to help you grow. You need other people to really do everything for you. That in the same way that we have infants and babies who we have to care for, we have to help grow and develop, that if you're in this category, then that describes you spiritually as well. That, that might fit you if you have recently come to faith in Jesus. Maybe you're an infant in Christ because uh, you just met Jesus and you have this desire to grow, but you're not really sure how to grow. That's the first category. The second category, uh, you might be a young child that a young child would be described spiritually as you're starting to understand the basics of the Christian life. You're, you're, you're starting to understand like the language and, and what to do, but you're still very much dependent on other people to help you grow and to help you develop. And just like most young children, uh, you're probably self-centered in your growth. You're still thinking about what does it mean for me to grow, and you haven't started to invest in other people. That's the second category. The third category of growth is a teenager. And maybe you're 18 years old and uh, you have kind of the appearance of a mature adult and yet you still have a lot of areas that you need to mature in that you need to develop. And most uh, like teenagers and, and physically, they're still thinking about themselves. They're still kind of obsessed with, with them. They're not investing in other people as much as they possibly should. Now the fourth category is a mature adult. Now, a mature adult spiritually are, are people who are constantly thinking about other people. Just like those of you who are mature adults, like you rarely think about yourself. You're providing for other people. You're teaching other people how to live and how to function in life. You're constantly investing in other people. Well, this is the fourth category of spiritual growth, is that you're investing in other people and you've kind of mastered the basics of, of life. So as we kind of talk about those four categories, which, which of the four do you most resonate with? Which of the four kind of describes you and where you are spiritually? And what would it look like for you to take a step in your spiritual development? Now, my intention of this sermon this morning is not to, it's not to answer every question about what it means to grow. But my, my intention this morning is just to give us a vision of what spiritual growth actually looks like and how that takes place at College Park Fishers. 
And I just want to encourage those of you to think about what does it look like just to take a step in my spiritual development? That if you're not a mature adult, don't, don't fall into shame or, or guilt. Maybe you're, you're new to the faith. Maybe you're new to following Jesus and you're more of an infant or you're more of a young child. Like, like there's no shame in that. Just, I just want all of us to take steps in our spiritual development and in our growth. And I think Colossians 1 will help us do that. In fact, there are three things that I want us to see in Colossians 1 that will help us understand what it means to grow as followers of Jesus. The first is the goal of growth. What's the target when we start talking about spiritual growth? So number one, the the goal. Number two, the method of growth. Like how do we grow? What, What does that even look like practically to take steps in our growth? So the method of growth. And then finally, we'll end talking about signs of growth. Or how do you know when you are growing? What does that actually look like in your life? So three uh, areas of growth that we'll look at. Before we uh, jump into the goal of growth, uh, I do want to give one observation about Colossians that's very helpful to understand. Um, Paul is writing this letter to a group of believers in, uh, in Colossae who were basically being bombarded by false teachers. And they're being bombarded by these false teachers who are propping up the wrong picture of what spiritual growth looks like. These false teachers were removing the centrality and the supremacy of Christ. And they were saying, hey, hey, pursue these other things. Pursue visions. Pursue angels. Pursue uh, uh, observing certain days of the week as you read in chapter 2. And that's what will enable true growth. And so Paul is writing to this young church because Paul understood that the best way to stunt our spiritual growth is to remove the centrality of Christ, remove the supremacy of Jesus, and that will immediately stunt your growth in your spiritual life. And so he's leaning into that, and we'll see what he has to say. So number one, look at the goal of growth, the goal of growth. Now, when I talk to people about what it means to grow spiritually, one of the things that that immediately comes to the surface is that people rarely have an understanding of what the of what the goal actually is when you're growing. That people are like, what what is the target? I know I need to grow. I know that I should grow, but I, I don't really know what the end goal is. What is the target? And so that ambiguity as far as the goal of growth actually causes people to be spiritually paralyzed. Like they don't know how to take steps because they don't know what the destination is. It's kind of like if you got into your car and you turned your car on and, and yet you forgot where you were headed, where the destination is, like you're not going to be driving that car. That, that kind of describes where a lot of people are spiritually. They know they should, but they don't know where to go or how to get there. So what do we mean by spiritual growth? I think Paul describes what the goal is in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1. Read them with me here. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let me just stop right there. So verse 21 and some of 22, Paul is explaining for us who we used to be before Christ saved us. And he starts talking about what Jesus accomplished through his death in his, rec- in his resurrection. He has reconciled us to God. But then in verse 22, 
Paul includes a very helpful phrase that helps us understand what the goal of spiritual growth actually is. Notice that last phrase in verse 22 that begins with, in order to. Now this little phrase in Greek, this is a a purpose clause. This shows the intention of the action from the main verb. So what Paul is saying, he's like, why did Jesus reconcile us to himself? Why did Jesus die for us? What's the purpose? What's the goal? Well, it's in order to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. That's the goal. That's the spiritual uh, idea of, of what we're after when we talk about spiritual maturity. So Paul is using these three descriptions to provide a picture of what we are aiming for. And as we stand before God, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to present each of us holy, blameless, and above reproach. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, it's extremely important to understand that biblically speaking, you are actually in two different places right now. Biblically speaking, you're in place one, which is your status or your position in Jesus. That's position number one. Position two is your practical position. This is kind of who you are in in practicality, kind of who you are this morning. And so position number one, your status in Jesus, biblically speaking, if you're a Christian, is that you are holy and you are blameless and you are perfect. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see you and your sin, but he sees Jesus because you've been hidden in Christ. Look at Colossians 3. Look at how Paul uh, describes this, this first position that we have. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so according to Colossians 3, the first place where you are is you are hidden in Jesus, seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father. That God looks at you and sees Jesus. That's position number one. But then there's position number two, biblically speaking, and that's more of your practical position on who you are right here and now. To describe kind of this position, you can look at Romans chapter 7. That Paul says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, can anyone relate to that? Does that resonate with anybody? Kind of this Romans 7 description of this ongoing battle that all Christians should have against sin. And sometimes we win those battles and sometimes we lose those battles. Like we're constantly waging war against sin. So, which one are you? Are you Colossians 3 or are you Romans 7? Well, biblically speaking, your position, you're actually both. That you're both a sinner and you're a saint at the same time. 
So justification, whenever we talk about justification, that is a moment in time in which you placed your faith in Jesus and you turned from your sins and instantly you were in Christ. Like instantly, Colossians 3 was your reality. You were seated in Christ in the heavenlies and you were hidden in Jesus. Justification. Glorification is what happens when either Jesus comes back or you die and you are glorified, you are perfected, you are basically, Colossians 3 is fully realized in your life in the new heavens and the new earth. And so you've got justification and then you've got glorification and the the process in between justification and glorification is what we call sanctification. That it's this process of becoming and looking more and more like Jesus. And that process is basically moving through those four different stages or those four different categories that I shared in the beginning. That you move from infant to young child to teenager and to mature adult. That's sanctification and that's what we're after when we talk about spiritual growth. So whenever you read, especially Paul in the New Testament, what Paul is basically saying in almost every letter is become what you really are. Like become the reality that Christ has made possible in Colossians 3. Make that your practical reality. In other words, kind of close the gap between Colossians 3 and Romans 7. And that process of closing that gap and becoming Colossians 3 right here and right now is what spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is all about. And so this idea of of spiritual growth is is not something that we kind of compare ourselves with other people. Like, that's not the goal. Like, the goal is not to identify, like, who the most godly person is in your life and try to aim for that person. You're going to fall into that comparison trap. You're going to look at at Elder Joe or Pastor Smith and think, okay, they're really godly. I'm going to aim for that. And so when you get close to their godliness, whatever that means, then you start to ease up a little bit. You're like, okay, I'm getting close, so I'm good. No, the, the, the goal that Paul is outlining here is holiness, blamelessness, and being above reproach. That that's what we're after. The goal is actually Jesus. And so each and every one of us, we have steps to take in our spiritual development and our spiritual maturity. Now, as Paul kind of unpacks what this actually means in his own ministry, I want to kind of articulate what he means by by holiness here. Holiness means to be set apart, that there is this purity that, that describes and marks your life, that you're free from the stain of sin. Being blameless is being without blemish. It's being kind of wrinkle-free morally. And then above reproach, it carries this idea of, of being free of accusation. So, so that's what we're after as we talk about spiritual maturity. That's, we want to grow in our holiness and, and becoming more and more blameless and being free of accusation. And I think spiritual growth is not just attaining more head knowledge, like, I, I love this church. I love that we take this book seriously. Like, we love, this church, like, loves to hear sermons. Like, you love to, to listen to your podcasts throughout the week of even other preachers. And that, praise the Lord for that. Like, that's a great thing that you're, you're in this word and you love this word. 
But spiritual growth, the goal is not to fill your mind with as much head knowledge about the Bible as possible, but spiritual maturity, the goal is it's growth here and here and here, that you want head knowledge, heart knowledge, and feet knowledge. Because right thinking plus right desiring equals right living. And so if you're attaining just head knowledge, and that's, not, and that's not impacting your affections and your desires for Jesus, then there's a gap in your spiritual maturity. There's, there's something wrong there if you're just accumulating more knowledge about the Bible, more facts about the Bible, but your desires are not being inflamed with Jesus. Because then that will also impact how you live that out practically. So the goal here is it's more of a holistic picture of spiritual growth. It's what you know, what you love, and how you live that, that, that uh, impacts our spiritual growth. I love J.I. Packer's kind of description of spiritual maturity. He talks about doctrine, experience, and practice. He says this, that being a Christian is a blend of doctrine, experience, and practice. Its head, heart, and legs are all involved. A doctrine and experience without practice would turn me into a knowledgeable spiritual paralytic. Experience and practice without doctrine would leave me a restless sleepwalker. That if Christ is to be formed in me, then doctrine, experience, and practice must all be there together. Okay, now that, that is the goal of spiritual growth. It's doctrine, experience, and practice all looking like Jesus that we want to think like Jesus, we want to love like Jesus, and we want to live like Jesus. So let me just stop and ask you the question. When you think about those three different elements, like head knowledge, heart knowledge, and and feet knowledge, how you live, which of the three do you need to grow in? Which of the three are are you least developed? Maybe you're you're top-heavy on your head knowledge, but you're not living it out. We, We want a vision of having kind of spiritual maturity that hits at all three. And it's the long obedience in the same direction. So that's the goal of spiritual maturity, holiness and blamelessness. Number two, let's talk about the method of growth. Okay, so on one hand, it's helpful to know the destination. It's helpful to know the goal of growth. But if you don't know how to get there, then it's almost pointless. Like to go back to the car illustration, if you get into the car and and you plug in the destination in your GPS, but you don't know how to turn the car on or you don't know how to drive, then, then it's pointless. It's actually almost dangerous. And so what does Paul share with us here in Colossians 1 that can help us understand how to grow uh, in our relationship with the Lord? Well, in verse 28 Let me read this for us. He actually supplies two different things that can help us grow. Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now Paul here is is articulating what he has done in his own ministry. That he's talking about, he's, he's wanting to present everyone mature in Christ and shares with us how he has done that or how he did that. And in verse 28, I see two things that can help us grow. The first is being Christ-centered. It's being Christ-centered. Look at the beginning of verse 28. He says, him we proclaim. Now Paul is is talking about the way in which he wants to, to help people mature in Christ. And he starts 
by saying it's him we proclaim. Now, who is the him here? Well, if you go back to verse 27, it's Jesus. It's the hope of glory, Christ in you. So Paul is saying that we proclaim Jesus as a way to help people mature in Christ, that we're centered on him. And look, frankly, this is why our mission is igniting a passion to follow Jesus, that we believe in order to grow, that we need to be Christ-centered. The centrality of Jesus is not just a mission statement that's cute on our website, but it is a reality that impacts everything that we do. And the reason for that, as, as Paul would agree, that you actually become what you behold. That whatever you are looking at, whatever your life is centered around, that's actually what you are becoming. That's what you are growing into. And what Paul is saying here is he, he wants to proclaim Jesus so that grows us into the likeness of Christ. Like that's why Paul in chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, gives us one of the most beautiful pictures of, of a description of Jesus that we have. Because all, Paul understood that the way that we grow is being centered upon Jesus. Now, Charles Spurgeon, who um, is known as the prince of, of preachers, he lived in the 19th century. He, uh, he got a note from somebody who heard him preach. It was someone in his congregation, and this individual was wanting the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, to preach on something other than Jesus. He was tired of hearing about Jesus every single week. So Charles Spurgeon responded uh, this way. He says, I know one who said I was always on the old string, and that this individual would come and hear me no more. But if I preached a sermon without Christ in it, he would come. Ah, he will never come while this tongue moves, for a sermon without Christ in it is a Christless sermon. It's a brook without water. It's a cloud without rain. It's a well which mocks the traveler. It's a tree twice dead, plucked up by the roots. It's a sky without a sun, a night without a star. It's, it's a realm of death, a place of mourning for angels and laughter for devils. And then he says this, he says, O Christian, we must have Christ. Do see to it that every day when you wake, you give a fresh savor of Christ upon you by contemplating his person. Live all the day, trying as much as you can to season your hearts with him. And then at night, lie down with him upon your tongue. That's the response of, of Charles Spurgeon to someone who wants him to preach something other than Jesus. And look, th this is why we must have the centrality of Jesus in our church. That even as you think about the Bible, like your own time in the Word, you got to find Jesus in here. Like if you're reading the Bible and you're not learning more and more about Jesus, you're just filling your mind with more head knowledge. Because this book is about Jesus. Like even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is predicting Jesus. And then we get to the Gospels, the Gospels, they're revealing Jesus. And in Acts, the apostles are preaching Jesus. And the epistles, they're explaining Jesus. And then you get to Revelation, and Revelation says we're awaiting and expecting Jesus. So this whole book is about Jesus. And so if you're thinking to yourself, man, why am I not growing? Like I listen to so many sermons, I read the Bible every day. Well, are you finding Jesus in every page in this book? Because if you're missing Jesus, you're missing the mark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
Look, I, I, told, I told you this, church, many times before, but one of my biggest prayer requests for us is, is that I, what I'm praying is that we don't experience uh, the reality in five, five years from now or 15 years from now or 30 years from now that, that we kind of wake up as a church and we come to the realization that we missed Jesus. That, like, if you want to know, like, the inside of my soul and, and, like, what I'm praying for our church, I'm praying that we don't have that moment where, where we wake up and we've got, we've got our own church building. Like, we're, we have thriving ministries where we're impacting the community, and yet we've lost our awe for Jesus. Like, that's, like, like that's my worst nightmare as a pastor, that, that we have lost our passion for Jesus, and yet we're doing ministry, like our church is fine. Like, like we're, we're doing things. We're, we're making an impact here in Fishers and, and Noblesville. And yet our passion for Jesus is very, very little. Like this is one of the most popular ways I think people's growth spiritually is stunted. Is when they move away from the awe and the passion of Jesus. And for whatever reason, when people just, they just get bored of Jesus and, and they move on to other things. Like they find other things in the Bible that's, that's more uh, interesting than the person and the work of Christ. And, and people kind of move away from like the meat and the vegetables of Jesus to, to kind of a cotton candy theology that, that, doesn't, uh, that, that doesn't bring any conviction or challenge upon, upon their lives. And so like for me, like my greatest fear is that we just wake up one morning and, and, and we're doing church and yet we've missed Jesus along the way, that we've changed our mission statement from igniting a passion to follow Jesus to igniting a passion for churchianity. Like I don't want to be a church where we have a group of people that have lost their awe and their passion for Jesus. And so we talk about growth, like this isn't moralism. This isn't like you need to grow and, and have your motives be guilt or shame or, or having a, a peer pressure, a comparison issue. No, our, our growth is, is Christ-centered. So our singing is about Jesus. Our preaching is about Jesus. Our, our ministries are all about Jesus. And, and hopefully what we talk about with one another outside of Sundays is about Jesus. That's how we grow. It is him that we proclaim. But not only that, but number two that Paul supplies for us is that we need to be word-saturated. So in order to grow, it's not just being Christ-centered, but also word-saturated. In verse 28, Paul says that in his ministry, the way that he matured people is that he warned everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Okay, so this is Paul trying to help people mature, help people grow. He warned people and he taught people with all wisdom. And by doing so, allowed his people to be saturated with the word of God. Now, this idea of warning, it carries the idea uh, of admonishing. And so we grow by receiving warning or caution from the teaching of God's word. And the reason for that is because we're all prone uh, to straying. And so one, uh, one way that we grow is by being immersed in this book, and by doing so, you should feel admonished by the Word of God when you read it. Like, you should read this book and feel challenged on a consistent basis. Like, this, this book, when you read it, should make you feel uncomfortable from time to time. Like, if you're reading this, and it's agreeing with everything in your life, you're not reading it correctly. There's this idea of the word of God brings conviction, 
that it's alive and it's active and it's admonishing us or warning us about the ways that we're living that's inconsistent with Jesus. Now, teaching is different than warning, that it actually has more to do with, with kind of communicating truth in such a way that you learn the Bible and you not only learn it, but you actually know how to apply the Bible to your life. And so if, if warning has more to do with kind of pointing out things to avoid, teaching encourages us things to actually pursue. Now, before we get too far into being word-saturated, I don't want you to think that being word-saturated is just being filled with Bible knowledge. Again, that's part of it. But being word-saturated has more to do with the ability of being effective in using the word and applying the word in real-life situations. It's not just knowing the Bible, it's being able to apply it in specific day-in and day-out life. And so if you look at the Bible, in the New Testament, there are over 61 and other commands that we are told to live out. Like love one another, serve one another, encourage one another. Being word-saturated is not just knowing all 60. Being word-saturated is having the ability to apply those one another commands in real-life situations. And so you take the one of, of encourage one another. So you're sitting across the table from somebody who just unexpectedly lost their job, unexpectedly get, got fired. Okay, so you know one of the one another, one another commands is to encourage one another. So how might you do that in that situation using the word of God? Do you know how to do that, to apply God's word to real life situations? Or even take Colossians 3 here. Just uh, in a couple chapters later from the passage that we're in, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks thankfulness in your hearts to God. Look, so this one another command is not for just pastors and elders. This is for all of us to be able to teach and admonish one another with the word of God. So that demands that you don't just have head knowledge, but you have the ability to apply it to real life situations. So are you able to apply it to, to the different situations that you find yourself in in life or other people in your life? Let me give you a few examples. Do you know how to apply the word of God uh, to the arena of sexual immorality, whether in your life personally or in the life of other people? Do you know how to apply the word of God in the arena of, of an eating disorder or anxiety or parenting or, uh, or, or if you sit across the table from somebody and they're moving into retirement and they share with you the fact that, man, I, I really feel like I'm losing my influence Moving into retirement, I just, I just don't know if God can still use me. Like if you find yourself in that situation, do you know how to use the word of God to speak life into that believer? And the way that we do that is according to Colossians 3 is that we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That the word of Christ actually acts like an umpire in our lives. That we dwell in it. That, that we linger with God's word. That we, we spend time in his word in an unhurried fashion. That we savor it. That we prioritize it. Because one of the things that God's word does for us is it shows us God's glory. 
Like this, is, this is one of the main reasons that, that I spend time with God in his word, because for me, even as a pastor, my view of God kind of shrinks throughout the day. Like when I go through life and I have an awesome time with him in the morning, and I'm, in, I'm immersed in the word, I'm praying, I go throughout my day and I encounter all kinds of different things, that big view of God starts to get smaller and smaller and temptations get bigger and bigger. And so I need something in my life that shows me a big view of God, which is his glory. And so the, the reason why I'm in his word is because I see God's glory in this book that gives me that big view of God that helps me pursue holiness and godliness because of God's glory. So God's glory is actually a way that we are transformed and that we actually grow. And we find that in the word of God. If you don't believe me, let me prove it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being what? Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you catch that? Like, you become what you behold. What Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 3 is that by beholding the glory of God, we are being transformed into the image of God and his glory. And so, How do you fill your mind and your soul with his glory? It's through the word of God. And so you get that in your bones, in your soul. You are then transformed into the likeness of God. And John Piper, you can't say it any better than, than how he describes the role of God's glory here. It's one of my favorite quotes that he has. He says that the deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. And we were made for this, to see it, to savor it, and to show it that that is why we exist. And when we trade the treasure for images, everything is disordered. The sun of God's glory was made to shine at the center of the solar system of our soul. And when it does, all the planets of our life are held in their proper orbits. But when the sun is displaced, everything flies apart. And so the healing of the soul begins by restoring the glory of God to its flaming, all-attracting place at the center. Look, this this is how we grow, that we grow by, by seeing God's glory and by savoring God's glory in the word of God. So maybe maybe you're here this morning and and if you were honest with yourself, you would, you would just admit, man, I, I haven't grown in some time. Like there's been an extended period of time in my own life where I just haven't taken steps in my spiritual development. That I, I, might, I might just feel like a, a young child or a, a teenager in the, the spiritual categories. And I, I just haven't grown in a while. And, and I just, I hear that. I just, I just wonder, like, is it because you're not filling your soul with the glory of God? You might say to yourself, well, you know, I read the Bible, you know, I I go to church, I listen to sermons, but I just wonder, is there a gap in your life between what you know to be true and what your desires need? Because what you end up living is is what you love, that whatever controls your affections will control how you live your life. And so if you're not growing, if you're not taking steps and progressing in sanctification, I just wonder if there's a gap in your life that you need to just, to just linger more in his word, 
that you need to prioritize the word of God in such a way that your soul actually savors it and that you actually enjoy it. That you don't just pick a verse and then run throughout your day. That's going to lead you into that cotton candy theology. But you say, no, 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 this is most important. This is what it's all about. Because the word of God at the end of the day is about connecting with the person in this book. And that will lead to transformation. So we want to grow by being Christ-centered and by being saturated with the word of God. Before we close this morning, I want to help us today, because if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, that's helpful to know the goal. It's helpful to know how to grow. But what are the signs of spiritual maturity? Like, what are the signs that, that can tell you if you actually are growing? Okay, now Paul in verse 28 says that he's trying to present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, being mature is a sign of spiritual growth, but how do you know if you're mature? And I could just list off like the fruits of the Spirit, but like that wouldn't be exactly helpful. Okay, so here are four more specific ways that you know that you are growing in your relationship with the Lord. Here's uh, number one, is that your sin bothers you more and more. Okay, now I I say your sin bothers you more and more. Not sin in general, not the sins of other people, but personally, your specific sins are bothering you more and more, which leads you to repenting more and more and more consistently. I mean, if you if you read like older saints who have passed away, whether last couple of decades, last couple hundreds of years, what they would say uh, uh, of a sign of your growth. Is, is when you feel like you've got more and more sin in your life, even though you've been walking with the Lord more and more. And what they say, they say that because the closer that you get to the light of Christ, the more that your darkness is actually exposed and revealed. And so the closer that you actually get to Jesus, the more that your personal sin actually becomes known to you, more aware uh, to your mind, and therefore you can actually repent of that and confess it. And so you know that you're growing when your sin bothers you and that you're not just comfortable with, with the sin in your life. Number two here, another sign that you're growing is that you're able to apply the word of God to different life situations. I've already talked at length about this. But again, it's taking the word of God, not just gaining knowledge, but having the ability to apply it to the different areas of your life. So if you're here today and you're thinking, man, I would love to grow in that. I'd love to learn more about what that looks like. I, I want to strongly encourage you to a, uh, a, a class that we're launching uh, September 17th on how to do this, on basically spiritual disciplines of how to take the Word of God and to apply it to real-life situations. This is a class that Dustin Crow will be leading, and it will start on September 17th on Sunday morning, but the same exact class will actually also be offered on Wednesday night. And so on Sunday morning, if you're serving or you're busy, you can't make that, uh, go to Wednesday night. We'll have childcare um, available. Just strongly encourage that to you to learn how to take the Word of God and to apply it in your life as far as being equipped to do the work of ministry. Now, number three here, another sign that you know that you're growing is that you're showing other people how to follow Jesus that you're actually looking outside of yourself. If you remember that fourth category, that mature adult, you're investing in other people. You're showing other people how to live and how to follow Jesus. 
And so do you have people in your life that would say that, man, if it wasn't for your influence in my life, I would be so much farther away from Jesus? Like, do you have those people that would, that would say that? Do you, do you have a spouse or children or other people in your small group or your life that you're, that you're intentionally pouring into and showing them what it means to follow Jesus? This is a great sign that you know that you're growing as it relates to being a follower of Jesus. And now number four, the last thing, the last sign I just want to point out, it could be so many more, but your others focused. Your others focused. This is one of the most obvious signs of fruit in your life, where you're not just processing everything through what's best for me or how can I grow, but you're thinking about those people around you and primarily like how you can serve them. And you've got opportunities to serve every day and all throughout the week. But specifically, I just want to challenge and encourage those of you who aren't serving in our church to take that step today. That there are cards on, on the chair in front of you or next to you that if you're not serving, if you're not thinking outside of yourself, even on Sunday morning, just want to encourage you to consider getting plugged into to one of our ministries to both use your gift, but also to create maturity in your life. Because I'll just be honest with you, serving is inconvenient. Serving takes time and it takes energy and, and it's, it's something that we all struggle with. But that is the mechanism that God uses in our lives to mature us and to grow us. And specifically, there are three teams um, on Sunday morning that, that need just more volunteers. It's our, it's our setup team, it's our teardown team, and it's our tech team. And these teams are, are, are individuals that work so hard every single week, and they just need more and more volunteers. So if you're thinking to yourself, man, I just don't want to serve every single week, then that's great. You can serve like uh, once a month or once every other week. You can serve uh, a whole month on and then a whole month off, whatever you want. I just want to encourage you this morning, as you think about taking steps in your spiritual development to think about what it would look like to actually serve and to use your gifts here at College Park Fishers. So a lot more I could say about different signs for growth. But in the end, we, we really we want to be a church that's growing in our godliness. Like we want all of us to take steps in our spiritual development so that we can look more and more like Jesus as we're on this journey, this long obedience in the same direction of igniting a passion to follow Jesus. So let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. God, we thank you that he gives us, Lord, an image and a picture of what spiritual maturity actually looks like. And God, we thank you also that he gives us the motivation and the power to actually live out the commands that we see all throughout your word. And God, when we look at spiritual maturity, God, we, we just confess that it is, it's a daunting task. God, it's, it's hard to wage war against sin. God, to, to look more and more like Jesus. God, it'd be so much easier just to, just to make peace with sin. But we know, God, that's not what you've called us to. So Lord, help us to engage in our spiritual growth, to look more and more like Jesus because we want other people to know about him too. So we pray this in Christ's name, amen.